It's here. The Christian Mindset Makeover is now open. This is the popular nine-week course that equips Christian women with powerful brain science and biblically-based tools to break free from negative thoughts. And I want to teach you some of the practical things we share in this course with a free workshop. I just opened up a ton of new workshop time, so go to vibrantchristianliving.com forward slash mind to get a behind-the-scenes look at the Christian Mindset Makeover course and even learn some of the practicals we talk about in the course from this free workshop. Go to vibrantchristianliving.com forward slash mind right now and sign up for the free workshop. Hi there, and welcome to the Vibrant Christian Living Podcast. I'm your host, Alicia Michelle, your Christian mindset coach, and I'm here to help you find practical ways to renew your mind using brain science and biblical truth. Well, you may have heard that self-compassion is a big part of having a healthy identity as a Christian woman or just as a woman in general. But if you struggle with perfectionism, you know that it can feel downright impossible, honestly, to have compassion on ourselves, especially when all we can see are the things that are wrong. All we can see are the things that need to change. It's like compassion doesn't seem like it's the answer. So today I want to talk about that link between self-compassion and perfectionism, because After studying this for a while, after seeing this in my own life, after seeing this in the life of my clients and looking at the research for the brain around this area, it is fascinating to see that connection between freedom and growth in the area of perfectionism and implementing and bringing in self-compassion. So as a recovering perfectionist, when I was learning about this information, it really was mind-blowing to me. And so I want to explore more with you today about this area of self-compassion and what it really means to bring that in, what it really means to look at it from that perfectionistic view of feeling like, but I don't feel like this is the right answer because I don't, if I feel sorry for myself, then I just feel sorry for myself. Isn't that just what compassion is about? So we're going to talk about what compassion, self-compassion specifically is and isn't, how it relates to what a what God thinks about us and how he views us, how he relates to us, what a perfectionist mind may be thinking and why we can be stuck in trauma instead of dealing with the self-compassion and letting that be the healing balm we look for. So there's lots of really juicy things we're going to dig in today. So first I want to start by talking a little bit more about what this perfectionist mind is like. And we did a whole episode on this back in episode 126. It was called Confessions of a Recovery workaholic and perfectionist. So if you want to hear more about that inner dialogue, I encourage you to check that episode out, but that is a great place to start. And I want to share a little bit more about what some other people have said about what it means to be a perfectionist. I will share some stories of my own too, but I love how Brene Brown defines it in her book, Gifts of Imperfection. She says, perfectionism is the belief that if we act perfect, we can minimize the pain, blame, and shame. It's a 20-ton shield that's trying to protect us. Perfectionism is not self-improvement. Perfectionism at its core is about trying to earn approval and acceptance. Yeah. Approval and acceptance. It's not self-improvement. That for me was an immense eye-opening concept because I thought, I really thought for the longest time that perfectionism was about my, it was my tool to always be my best, that, that God was with me in my perfectionism, so to speak, right? Because 
he wants me to grow to be my best. So why wouldn't he be there to help me grow in this area? But in reality, yes, he wants to help me grow, but how was I going about it? How I was going about it wasn't helpful. It was destructive to me. And that's because I was doing it without this lens of self-compassion. So Brene also describes this, this perfectionism thing as healthy striving is self-focused. How can I improve? Perfectionism is others focused. What will they think? And I would add to that and she does mention this in the book and and in other places that there is a reason why it is others focused. It's because it's compensating from some sort of shame, some sort of trauma that has been there. And that's why she says this, when perfectionism exists, shame is always lurking. Shame is the birthplace of perfectionism. And this was really, really bristled me a little bit when I started thinking about this, because I thought shame, mm, I don't think I feel shame, right? And I felt like shame meant I was sitting in a corner feeling sorry for myself. But really what I was doing with perfectionism was beating myself because I didn't feel like I deserved a loving response to what I was feeling. It was just how I had been conditioned to move myself forward. So that's kind of how I want to start this discussion is just that perfectionism is really about this response to shame and the roots of it really are, of course, in trauma, different ways that we have responded to difficult things in our life and how we defined how we were going to feel worthy, how we were going to feel loved, how we were going to feel enough. Those of you who've been around my teaching a while know that those are the three questions we talk about with identity and how the brain figures those out subconsciously and that how that plays out is that filter for how we receive love and approval. And when we think about those things like trauma that are causing the shame, we have to go, okay, well, what are the four main trauma responses? How do we respond to trauma? There's actually six of them, but we're going to talk about the four biggest ones here. And those are to fight, to flight, to freeze, or to fawn. So how this plays out in terms of how it could relate to some of these behaviors that we respond to, to trauma. So an unhealthy version, I'm going to give you the unhealthy versions of all of these because there are healthy versions, but my point is not to not go too deep into this here, but I want you to understand it so you can understand where this shame side of perfectionism can be coming from, how it's a reaction to something that's happening. So fight would be an aggressive behavior. So trying to control ourselves, trying to control others. That's that spirit of perfectionism. That's like, you're going to be different. It has to change now. There is no room for anything else. You guys know that voice. If you struggle with it, I know you do. Flight. Flight is running away from what we're feeling. It's burying ourselves in things like work or eating, or this is where addictive behaviors come in to try to just numb the pain. Freezing. This is this inability to make a decision, to stay stuck. Numbing can come into this a little bit, but this is where OCD behaviors can come in. So we're just like going over and over and over and over to keep just where we aren't able to move forward or try new things because we're so stuck in these patterns of being frozen. And then fawn, it is kind of a strange word they use here, but it just means to appease. So this is people pleasing. So it's, it's that idea of, yes, of course, we're called to keep the peace as Christians, but it's doing it excessively to the point where you have no value. Your opinion doesn't matter. Others' opinions and what they think of you, as long as they're happy, then you're good. So These compensating behaviors, honestly, if you look at them from all these different areas, really could be little avenues of perfectionism, different ways that we express perfectionism. I think for a long time too, it was hard for me to understand that perfectionism is expressed in different ways. I just thought 
it was typically like, if you're a perfectionist, then you just said, well, I am going to work as hard as I can and do this and blah, blah, blah. But it could be that if you struggle with perfectionism, that you are afraid to step out. I mean, there's both sides of the coin. The more I began to learn about this, it was really, really interesting how we all have different responses to it. So if that's true, that perfectionism is rooted in shame, then the opposite of shame is self-compassion and forgiveness. It's allowing ourselves the grace and the space and the room to be messy and the and just just the the place to experiment and to see what else could be versus the rigid this is the only way there is to look at it so that's how i want to to describe moving forward here the difference between perfectionism and self-compassion. I'm going to describe them using some very specific terms and you'll see how they really are polar opposites of each other. And then I'm also going to give you some Bible verses to help you understand why the perfectionist side is not something of God and how compassion really is something that we can tap into and lean on, even if we don't feel it that God's spirit can fill us up with his compassion for us that cultivates the self-compassion inside of us. So first let's start with how can we describe perfectionism? Perfectionism, if you were to describe them, there's a couple of words here. It's impatient. It's like rushed. I want you to fix it now. We don't have time for there to be any uh, mistakes or anything to figure it out. It's just do it now. Okay. Perfectionism is pessimistic. You'll never find another way to do this. This is the only way. And so you need to do it right. Perfectionism is harsh. It's not tender. It's not acknowledging the pain or the difficulty of a situation. It just says, suck it up, do it, get it done. Perfectionism is rigid. It doesn't see another way besides the quote, perfect way. This is the only way to do it. And there's no other avenues. Perfectionism is judgmental. It comes to its own conclusions. It doesn't want to connect the dots. It doesn't have room to say that maybe it made sense why somebody acted like this. No, this is right. This is wrong. Very black and white. Perfectionism is like that. Perfectionism is also this fake confidence. I mean, you have met perfectionistic people and probably thought they were pretty confident. That's kind of this mask that we would wear as a perfectionist. It's this outwardly strong ability, but that strength is built on a straw house covering that shame. It's that, well, I'm, I'm compensating in these ways and I'm still getting it done. So, you know, leave me alone. I got this. I don't need you to, to help me. I don't need to, to have some healing in this area. I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm handling it. It's not, <laughs> we, we put aside the fact that we're quote handling it with a limp as we're handling it. It's like, if we were to equate this with how we were walking, we would be walking with all kinds of, you know, crazy moves in our hips and our legs and our arms doesn't matter that we're not walking smoothly. We're, we're getting there. So that's kind of that attitude. And then lastly, perfectionism is hurtful. It damages us. It doesn't give us room to receive grace room to receive God's love. It just says this is wrong and you need to change. It doesn't tell us a different way and give us the option to find healing. It just says it needs to happen. So as you can see, perfectionism is of the enemy. It keeps us stuck in darkness and it keeps us unable to access to the fullest potential, that freedom, that freedom that God offers us. So it's not a response that allows us to have the thoughts of the spirit. So it makes it that much harder to do the things of the spirit. Romans eight verses five and six says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy spirit, think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. 
So if we are letting these thoughts, this mindset of this is how it has to be, it's rigid, it's hard, it's the only way. If that's how we're operating, that's not God's spirit. So we are not, if that's in control, we're not able to let the Holy Spirit rise up in us and and flow out of us to be able to love others, to be able to love ourselves. Love is not something that we just have to work harder at. Love is something that has to flow from God into us and then through us. Love is a supernatural thing. And the same thing is true with compassion. Compassion has to flow from God to us, through us, through self-compassion so we can have compassion to others. So we're going to talk about that more in a minute about why it's so important to get over this kind of stuff and to work through this kind of stuff. Colossians chapter two, verses 20 to 23 talks about this concept of how we try to manage these, these behaviors inside of ourselves in this way. That's using this, the forces of this world, so to speak. And it seems like it's working, but it's not. Um, I'm not going to read all the verse to you, but in verse 23, it says such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the, body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now he's talking about a very specific sin there, but what we can gather from that verse is that when we try to control these behaviors inside of us that need God's touch, his healing through behaviors like perfectionism, which is of this world, we are not going to get the healing that God wants for us. So we have to say, what is the way that God wants to bring healing? And how can we do that? We see glimpses of that in beautiful stories, like the story of the woman who anointed Jesus um, when he was at dinner with some of his friends. Simon the leper being one of them. You can read the story in Mark 14 verses three to six. She comes and she has, you've heard this story before. She has this beautiful jar of pure nard. It's this very expensive perfume. She breaks the jar. She anoints it on his head. And some of these people who are present say, this is a quote from the verse in, in verse four, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. And here was Jesus's response. He said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. He sees the heart. He sees our motivations. He understood why this woman was doing this. He understood the full story. And that is the God that we have. He understands where we're at and he has compassion on us. He sees the full picture. He of course thought, yeah, you could have used this to, to help support the poor. Of course he thought that, but he sees her response from this emotional loving heart. And he values that so much. So God values self-compassion and he values because he values compassion itself. He is a God of compassion. And I want to break down again. We looked at perfectionism. So I want to break down what is self-compassion as compared to what perfectionism is. And then look at some verses that describe that compassion that God has for his people and how that can manifest in us in self-compassion and why it's so important. So this is how I define self-compassion as I was thinking about how would I put this into words? Self-compassion is the willingness to acknowledge and honor the reality of our emotions and thoughts, no matter how pretty they are, no matter how messy they feel and a willingness to see those emotions and thoughts through the lens of a loving, caring, grace-filled God who wants to bring healing and hope. So there's this willingness that has to happen to acknowledge it. And this willingness to let God's lens be in front of us instead of the judgmental lens that we want to put over ourselves. So let's break down self-compassion in using those same 
words that we used, like we described with perfectionism, you'll see that the words that we use are directly opposite of self-compassion. Self-compassion is patient. It waits. It doesn't rush the way perfectionism does. It gives us space to let the healing come the way God needs to in his time. Self-compassion is optimistic. It believes the best. It believes in room for change and new ideas where perfectionism says, nope, it's rigid. It's closed. This is it. There is no room. It's pessimistic was the word that we use there. Self-compassion is also gentle. It moves with a soft touch as tender areas are discussed. And we learned that perfectionism is harsh. It doesn't have a self-touch. It just says, you need to fix this. You need to change it. As we specifically said, it says, suck it up. (laughs) So that's the difference in that specific area. Self-compassion is also understanding. It's willing to flex and bend with the ups and downs of our feelings versus compared to perfectionism, which is rigid. It doesn't see another way besides the perfect way. It says, this is it. That's all that there is. Self-compassion is curious. It asks through a loving, non-judgmental lens. Hmm. I wonder what that's about. I wonder what's going on here. I wonder what's, why that's triggering me. I wonder what's up with this. Not saying, oh, this is happening again. What is wrong? Why can't I get past this? It's not the judgmental. It's just standing outside, almost like a scientist and noticing. This is interesting that I see this happening and beginning to say, how can I connect this to some of the pain in my past? Why it's coming up? How this could be, again, my brain protecting me? We'll cover more about that in a few minutes, but just beginning to see how that some of that's possible. Self-compassion is also fierce. Fierce, fierce, fierce. I think we think of perfectionism as fierce, but fierceness doesn't have, it it can have this connotation of aggressiveness or harshness or rudeness. But when it's presented from the lens of God, fierceness is an incredibly important trait. It just means, I think of it as an intensity. It's a dedication. And so I said here that self-compassion is fierce. It stays in the mix. It continues to work even when it's hard. There's a book on my reading list for this fall as by Kristen Neff, who's a researcher in the area of compassion. And she wrote a book called Fierce Self-Compassion. And I thought, oh man, that's going to be a good one, right? Just that commitment to to self-compassion. It's easy to let these other voices jump in and say, this is how we feel. This is how I respond. This is what we need to do. But we have to stay committed and committed to changing our mindset around how we're going to respond to ourselves. So that's why I think fierce and compassion go together. I'll read the book and we'll find out a little more too, I'm sure. And then lastly, self-compassion is also healing. It is the balm that we're really seeking. We think that perfectionism, working harder, pulling out that whip and telling ourselves we got to work harder and just keep going. We think that's helping us, but really it's damaging us. It's not giving us God's love. It's breaking us down. So we also learn, of course, that self-compassion is of God. Now I'm going to read to you several Bible verses here because I want you to see the beauty of compassion and how prevalent it is in God himself in the old Testament and the new Testament, and in the Bible's encouragement of how we can speak to one another. So let's start first in the old Testament, Exodus 34, six, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is how God defines himself before Moses a God of compassion, 
a God who's slow to anger, one who's filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Psalm 103.13 echoes that sentiment. It says, the Lord is a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. There is a compassionate, loving, caring side to our God that we cannot ever forget. And it is every bit as active as we'll see in a second in the Holy Spirit. So that spirit is the spirit that we can begin to welcome in, in ourselves and with others. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion for the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. So this verse is talking about running away from God and trying to find our strength in other things besides God. But if if we use this from the perspective of perfectionism, we can think, well, we're trying to fix this brokenness, this trauma inside us by continuing to push harder, continuing to ignore, continuing to have these other addictions or to be aggressive with ourselves, all these fight, flight, fawn, and freeze behaviors. When God is saying, still all of that, and let me show you what it means to love and to have compassion. Hosea 2.19, oh my gosh, the whole book of Hosea is about the pursuit of God. It's an allegory of a, a man pursuing his wife who's continually unfaithful, but it's about the pursuit of God for his unfaithful people of Israel. So this verse kind of sums that all up. It says, I Hosea 2.19, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. There's this commitment, like we talked about, to compassion. It's fierce. It stays there. Even in the rejection, it stays there. It's not going anywhere. That is powerful. Mark 6, 34. So moving now to the New Testament, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Luke 6, 36 says, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And then this beautiful story in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. So you returned home. So he returned home to his father, meaning the prodigal son returned home to his father. This is in verse 20. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. This story gets me every single time, because I think if I was that father, I would hope that I would have responded in this way, but truly, honestly, it takes so much inner healing and knowing of ourself and peace with God to respond in this compassionate, caring way that he responds because it's echoing his ability to have peace with God over how the son had hurt him. If he was not able to receive that, he would be receiving this his son with judgment. So we can see from that that God forgives us. He recognizes what he, you know, he wants to restore in us and, and he allows us to come to him broken and offers us a compassionate spirit, not a harsh one. And then there are some great verses that talk about how we are called to live as compassionate people. Compassion in Colossians 3.12, it says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now the word compassion is not used here, but those are all elements of compassion. We talked about patience a second ago. We talked about gentleness. Kindness is very similar to, to compassion. So there's this, this overall spirit of God that we are to model, not to evoke and create in ourselves. There's a huge difference. We're not summoning really deep and working really hard to create compassion. We are believing it in God first for us. And then we are able to let that as it grows in us, we were able to let that flow out to others. And we'll talk more about that in a second, but just so you get an idea again, that this is not about us working harder to be more compassionate. It all flows from God. 
Do you find it hard to let go of worry? Do you struggle with feeling like you're never enough? Or maybe you're frustrated because you can't make the changes you want in your life, losing the weight, starting new habits, or growing in a certain area. Both brain science and scripture show that every action we take starts first with a thought. If we change our thoughts, we can change our results. So what are the most effective ways to change our thoughts? According to the latest neuroscience research and timeless biblical wisdom, well, I want to give you the inside scoop at this free workshop. Sign up now at vibrantchristianliving.com forward slash mind. You'll discover why it makes sense you're stuck in toxic thought patterns. You'll debunk three popular myths about overcoming negative thoughts. So many women are stuck in these. And you'll learn a simple three-step strategy to manage negative thoughts in the moment. I mean, this powerful tool alone is worth coming to the workshop. Plus, you'll get an inside look at the Christian Mindset Makeover, the only course that equips Christian women with powerful brain science and biblically-based tools to break free from negative thoughts and only nine weeks. Go now to vibrantchristianliving.com forward slash mind to sign up for this amazing free workshop to learn how to transform your thoughts to transform your life. That's vibrantchristianliving.com forward slash mind. I'll see you there. Another great verse is James 317, but the wisdom from above first is of all is pure. It is also peace loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. This is that same spirit. It's gentle. It's willing to yield. It's the fruit of good deeds. It's the fruit of trusting in God. And then in 1 Peter 3, 4, we are clothing ourselves with this gentle and quiet spirit. And Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ Jesus forgave you. So we now are given this heavy feeling at first command that we're supposed to be compassionate to other people and kind. And there's some great verses. I can't remember if it's in James or first Peter, but it makes me think about um, how there's this progression of how we move in our dedication to growing in Christ. And it's, I was reading this for the Connected Bible community the other day, and I was realizing that the, he says, add to your faith. He starts with um, moral excellence is the first thing. And then moral excellence to, I, I don't remember what the next thing is, but it's like a, a series of like nine of them. And at the end is brotherly love. And then the final thing is love for all people. So this love, it has to come first from acceptance of what God puts in us before we can let it spill out to others. There's lots and lots of verses here on being kind and compassionate. Galatians 5, 16 to 24 talks about the fruits of the spirit and how when we are led by the spirit, we develop fruits of the spirit and all of the things that are developed by the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are the fruit of God's spirit in us. So another great motivation to developing self-compassion kind of was hidden in what we were all talking about here a second ago, but it really is this. We can't love others and be compassionate on them without first being loving and compassionate on ourselves. Now, I know that that can sound like a very cliche self-help kind of a statement, but it is not that. It's very radical. It requires a lot of fierceness and a lot of brutal honesty with what's happening inside of us. Because it's really easy to just say, oh, love yourself more. Just be kinder to yourself. Well, the question is then, why am I not kind to myself? Why wouldn't I love myself? And there's all kinds of behaviors that are keeping us from loving ourselves, all kinds of coping mechanisms that are keeping us from loving ourselves and having compassion on ourselves. And that's what we need to talk about. That's what we need to begin to figure out is what is really happening here? Why is it so difficult to do this? 
So before we explore that, I want to talk more about this final motivation for developing self-compassion. And that is, this is our ultimate call to be able to have compassion for others. And that's rooted, of course, in our own compassion for ourselves. So I had a client earlier this year who was really struggling with anger towards her kids. And when we were working together, we were talking about finding some self-care for her, how to build that up in her, in her rhythms of life, you know, being a busy mom and things like that. And she had mentioned that this was a big part of what she didn't want to have in her life anymore, this anger. And I had a suspicion that this would happen, but it was so awesome to see it come to, to pass in that what I noticed and what we noticed together was that the more she grew in learning and overcoming those, those mental patterns about why she was busy and didn't feel like she had time for rest and she wasn't good enough, why she was working so hard and wasn't worthy, all these things, right? Why she was doing all of that, more healing she got around that, the more her anger dissipated because she saw that she was beginning to understand why her kids sometimes did things imperfectly, why they weren't always responding the way they she wanted, that they had bad days. So she began to have grace for herself first. And it wasn't just her manufacturing it. It was learning about and letting God bring that grace and that compassion into her so that it changed her so that the Holy Spirit could then begin to radiate out of her and fix the anger. So this is why it's so amazing is we have a calling It's not just about us, of course, and how our happiness is, but it is part of our calling to be able to witness and share God's love in this world. We cannot do that to the fullest extent. If we are living under our own self-condemnation and this desire to get it a certain way and be perfect, we are not going to experience that freedom. We're not going to experience the ability to live and, and to share the way God truly intends. So I want to take a step back now, because if you're listening to all of this, I can imagine that your inner critic is probably going crazy because if it was me and I was hearing somebody talk about all these reasons why, well, you need to think like this and and why don't you do this? I would be receiving it as what I just said, not this is a different way we're going to consider. I would be receiving it as I should be different. Why aren't I different? What's wrong with me? You know, this is bad. You're a horrible Christian. Do you hear all of that? It took me so long to realize, I mean, I knew that voice to realize that's shame. That is me shaming myself. Like what is wrong with you, Alicia? You're so bad. Oh my goodness. So I'm not saying all of these things to increase this desire to be perfect, to increase that shame. But I want you to be able to begin to see, like, if this is triggered, wow, that this is an area that you can find a different solution to, and that there may be some inner areas that need healing. There may be some shame triggers to shame happening and that we can get healing there. And so I want you to understand that you don't have to live like this and that I want to help you begin this self-compassion process. So having enough self-compassion on yourself to even begin the process, does that make sense? Having enough self-compassion to begin the compassion process. It's yeah, kind of a standing outside of meta experience, but so let's first talk about if that inner critic is flaring by 
noticing, okay, great, Alicia. Yeah, I see this is not how I'm supposed to be. And I know I need to be different. So how do I respond differently? How do I respond with self-compassion versus just yelling at myself and telling myself to be different? This is the only way I've ever known. How do I develop that in myself? So let's start first by figuring out and talking about why the inner critic is there. She is there and is triggered as a, as a way to protect us. So if she starts flaring, we can know that she is flaring because she feels unsafe. And the part of our brain that often works in this sort of being triggered by uh, wanting to respond quickly in this way, the fight or flight, even the freeze can sometimes be too, is the amygdala. It's the one of the emotional centers in our brain. And so she may, your perfectionist, inner critic person, whatever you want to call it, she may want to escape what we're talking about here, like flight, run away, just cover it up. I want to be busy. I want to stop listening to this podcast episode. I want to go have a chocolate, like whatever. She may want to confront it, fight it. Like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a 10 step plan. We're going to figure this out. I'm going to change tomorrow. Like, I know I can do this. It's like a willpower response. Yeah. (laughs) I totally can relate to that one. Another way she may be is she may be stuck in overthinking. Like she maybe tried to just, okay, well, if I do this, but if I do that, then this, oh, I don't understand. Why is this such a problem for me? Blah, blah, all of that. And that's freezing, right? Or she may be responding by just saying, okay, I'll just do this. Like, I don't really think it's going to work, but sure. I'll try it and I'll just follow the rules and play along, but you may not be really believing me. So I share all of those to know that those are all again, responses to shame and what, how, how our brain is, is, is trying to cope in this awkward limp kind of way. So just to share with you some of the things that my brain said about this and how my inner critic responded to this idea of self-compassion, self-compassion felt like a, a bunch of mumbo jumbo. When I first heard about it, I thought, okay, well, it just means like, I have to feel sorry for myself. I have to see myself as broken or weak which as a perfectionist, you know, that is, I don't need to be told that I'm broken and weak. I don't need more evidence of that. Okay. I don't need to dwell on this. And I felt like, well, I don't feel broken and weak. Like to me, broken and weak meant I was sitting in a corner crying. I couldn't handle my life. And instead I just felt frustrated with how I was acting and I never felt like I was enough. And so it felt counterintuitive to have compassion on myself in that state, because I was afraid that if I did that, then I was just excusing away my, my imperfection as being okay. Right. Like I couldn't say I'm okay. And I'm, I'm compassion felt like I was just saying, everything's okay. You're fine. You don't have to change when that's not what compassion is saying. Compassion is just this, this space to enter into where it's not saying you're fully fixed and you have to be fully fixed to enter this space. And you don't think about the areas that aren't fully fixed. It's just a space to sit in, to analyze, to think about what could be in a non-judgmental space. If you can just think of it as like a mental clearing, that's what God offers us. He's not saying he wants us to stay in sin. He's not saying he wants us to to not change our behaviors. He's just saying, I'm giving you this beautiful space to love you through the, the, the changes that need to happen. That's what I'm giving you in self-compassion. So it doesn't mean dismissing and saying our behaviors are all okay. It doesn't mean about seeing ourselves as broken or weak. It doesn't mean feeling sorry for ourselves. All it means is giving ourselves an emotional place to be in to allow God to heal and to work. So that was helpful for me as a reframe because I thought, 
okay, well, if I can go to that place with all of my baggage, all my junk, and I can sit there and let God love me through it as painful and difficult as that is, I know enough about myself and God that what I've been doing so far isn't working and it's not loving. It's not how God will respond to me. So I got to come up with a different way. And here is an idea, okay, of how we can move forward through that. First, again, talking about before about wanting to love others and wanting to use compassion on others, there has to be this understanding that we have to love our neighbors also as we love ourselves. There are several verses in that um, that are mentioned in the Bible, Galatians 5.14. It says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. This is referred to as the greatest commandment. It's in Matthew, Mark, and I believe in Luke as well. And even in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. When I was first introduced to that concept of both sides of that verse, I was a 19-year-old scared young woman who was considering taking her life. And I was sitting in a counselor's office, a Christian counselor, and I was telling her that I was so mad because I was like, I just need to change. I need to be different. And I can't fix myself. And I'm just on and on and on and on. And she was talking about loving myself. And I thought, I don't want to love myself because I am not good. I'm not what I want. And she was saying, and I was thinking, how can God love me in that? But really I'm called to love myself as I love my neighbor. So I want you to see that there is this self-compassion and love that we are to put on ourselves as part of healthy God-centered self-esteem. It's not, as we read about in those other verses, it's not prideful, me first. That's not the self-esteem and the, the love your neighbors as ourselves kind of version. In fact, usually when we read about loving our neighbors, it's about letting them go first, but it assumes, we can't ever forget that it assumes there is this part of us having compassion first on ourselves and valuing ourselves so that we can love our neighbors. So here's the key point I want you to get. You don't have to love yourself into change or even into being able to be more compassionate for yourself. All you need to do is to connect to and learn to that welcome in and believe in these deep, deep places. You need to believe in this compassion that God has for you. Believe in the love, the true love that he has for you. I know that we don't, we don't have time to go into all the, the areas of how that feels scary. I understand how scary that feels, friend. I'm not diminishing that statement by saying, oh, it's just easy. Make a snap decision. That's again, perfectionism. That's saying, all right, here's your marching orders. Go. That's not what we're saying. I know that there is difficulty around trusting and believing in God's love. And that's why we can't solve all this in a podcast episode. There's a whole course called the Christian mindset makeover, where we talk about this whole issue of why we get stuck and we can't trust and we don't feel safe. And we work through that and we discover practical brain-based and biblical ways to overcome that. So I'm just saying here, and just if you could suspend that part of it for me, I want you to hear that that part can be fixed too, if you struggle with believing in God's love for you. But the biggest part is you don't have to create it. You don't have to love yourself and make yourself have more compassion. You need to connect to God and learn to let him and his love for you and his compassion for you fill you up so that that self-compassion in you begins to be, you can begin to see how he sees you friend how he views you. And again, in the Christian mindset makeover, I'm thinking about one of the things we do one week is we have these statements. They're called I am statements. 
And these are statements about who we are in Christ. These are the things he thinks about us. These are the ways he sees us. These are the way he loves us. And when we begin to reorganize our brain through that lens, it dramatically changes our ability to love others, to love ourselves, to have compassion through the difficult changes that we make in life. So that's why stepping out of perfectionism isn't just about learning to love yourself better. It's learning to tap into God's love for you and compassion for you first. So how do we do that? Right? Obviously, like I said, it's, 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 a, it's a process, but here are some ways to think about it and to get started in this process. I told you I wanted to give you something practical to walk away with here. Okay. So the very first thing so that you can learn to welcome in God's love and compassion so you can cultivate that self-compassion is just to begin to notice how that harsh perfectionist voice shows up inside you. Not, not judging her, but looking at her from an obs- observant kind of kind outsider's perspective. What does she sound like? What are some of the repeated patterns that she has? And how are those related to these responses to trauma? What triggers her? What gets her going? What keeps her from believing in God's love? What what are some of those things? And the second question is asking ourselves, what might she, being she being this inner voice, this inner perfectionist or inner critic, what might she be trying to protect me from? What is she trying to keep me safe from? And then you can think about things like trauma current, past, big T, little T, all these things, we can see what have been those things that give us a good reason to have that, that fear response triggered to have that. Oh my gosh, but what if response triggered? It makes sense. This is why when we reformulate our thoughts and we create things like brain priming, the very first thing we do is acknowledge why it makes sense that our brain feels like this because our brain needs to be heard. Hey, Thank, you know, I'm trying to help you here. And if we fight against that, it's like, mm, no, I'm still trying to help you here. Like the survival instinct will still win. So we have to acknowledge and see how is she trying to protect me? And then to ask yourself, how is how I'm responding reasonable based on that past and current trauma? Like I was really hurt in that situation. So it makes sense that I am trying to avoid it, or I have a really hard project coming up right now. And I know that it's scary to me. It's, it's going to cause me to step out in a new way. And so I don't understand. It it makes sense why I'm trying to always like clean up my desk before I get started or go downstairs and "Hmm, I'm going to have a cup of coffee, a second cup of coffee, right? Like just, we find ourselves doing these little coping behaviors and it's really funny when we are able to kind of slow down and quiet ourselves enough to notice what's happening. This was happening to me a few weeks ago as I'm working on a big project right now that I can't wait to tell you about later, but this big project is definitely out of my comfort zone. And so I noticed that I was having all of this motivation to get started and I was trying to find a way to get going. And I, I first started to slip into those old, well, just work harder and just do this behaviors. And I'm like, no, but that's not anymore. And I was, I was running away from it. Like I was trying to over plan it. And then I was trying to just, hmm, I don't think I have time to start it today. You know, like all these things to run away from it. And when I kept having to go back to, it's okay. I understand why you're scared. Here is a different way to respond. Right. So that's why the next step is what's true and what's not true about the situation. After we've acknowledged it, we can say it is true that sure, this is going to be new. This is going to be scary. Like in my situation, Um, but it's not true that God hasn't walked this road with me. 
He hasn't walked other people through this road. He knows exactly what's going to happen, that he's going to give me the strength and the endurance and everything I need to do this. He's going to provide it. So I don't have to worry about manufacturing it. I have to sit and let him give it to me. And then I can walk in it and step into it There's a different perspective there. And then also, what is God? What is my loving, compassionate father? What does he say about the situation? How would he respond to me having this voice of perfectionism? How would he respond? Is he going to respond in this, this way that I am of what is wrong with you? You're so dumb. And why can't you fix this and blah, blah, blah. Would he respond that way? And then lastly, how can I begin to make this a new mindset and inner thought pattern? How can I begin to cultivate and remove, well, remove the old pattern of a harsh thinking and the perfectionist lifestyle and welcome in this new pattern. And that is exactly what we talk about in the Christian mindset makeover. So if you haven't signed up to be on the wait list or even checked out the course, depending on when you're listening to this, I highly, highly encourage you. If you've been just listening to the podcast for a while and you're like, this has been so helpful for me to learn about inner critic and perfectionism and like why I have all these negative thoughts. And now we're talking about shame and compassion. Like I understand so much more, but I need to be able to make these changes. It's just, it's one thing for me to talk about it here on a podcast and another for me to give you practical tools to help you really get in there and understand it. And then to formulate a way out and to give you the tools so that you begin this healing process and you know down the line, as it begins to get healing, but it still kind of flares up, you know how to handle it. You can approach it. It's no longer so scary. It's no longer so foreboding in the corner and thing you're something you're trying to avoid. You're able to see it and work through it. So I highly, highly recommend you check us out at the Christian Mindset Makeover. You can go to vibrantchristianliving.com forward slash mindset dash makeover to find out more information about it. Or if it's not open right now, you can get a free training that is my gift to you just to help you get started in this journey, to give you some practical hands-on ways to manage what we're talking about here. And I would love to be able to give that to you. So again, vibrantchristianliving.com forward slash mindset dash makeover. Thank you again, friend, for hanging out with me here on the podcast. My goal is always to give you practical ways to help renew your mind. And if this podcast encourages you, I pray you would share it. I know that we talk about a lot of challenging things sometimes, and that can be fun and good for us to talk about by ourselves, but there's a whole big world out there that needs to hear these things. So if you have a sister or a friend know someone from your church, anything, I would love your help and getting this message of God's hope, his power of healing through these tools and brain science and the scriptures. I would love your help in sharing. So please let another person know if you've been encouraged today about this, have a great week. I look forward to chatting with you more next week and I will see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me today. Please go to vibrantchristianliving.com forward slash podcast, scroll down, and then click on this episode to get the full show notes and more info on the resources that we talked about. And if you love this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review in your favorite podcast player. I look forward to seeing you back here for next week's episode.